You know, just as there are phases and stages of development to the spiritual or to the physical life, there are phases and develop uh, phases and stages of development to the spiritual life as well. And whether you've realized it or not, our current message series is really all about that. Uh, maybe it's dawned on you, maybe it hasn't. Uh, but God's 2020 vision, which has been in the series title uh, for all of us, is entirely about the phases of spiritual development. You know, if Southwoods is going to accomplish its mission, and, and just to pause here for a moment to just clarify what our mission as a church is, just so you know. As a church, I mean, as Southwoods Christian Church exists to assure you opportunities to know God, to become a fully devoted follower of Christ, and to discover God's purpose for your life. And then it's on you to do something with that. But, but we're here to help you know God, become a fully devoted follower of Christ, and, and discover God's purpose for your life. And if you don't know God for who he really is, guess what? You're not going to love him. You're not going to follow him. You, you're just going to, you're not going to give him the time of day. So we've got to help you know him for who he really is, and not just who our culture, our world tries to tell you that he is, because much of what's Known about him on the street is uh, partially true and some of it not true at all. So we got to help you with that. And we try to do that through our teaching and preaching and through small groups and all these different things. But then the second part of that, we want you to become a fully devoted follower because, you know, if you have this little child up here and guess what? If this little child doesn't grow, what happens? You as a parent get concerned, right? R right? Are you with me? You get worried. You start paying lots and lots of doctor copays to try to figure out why is my child not growing. From God's perspective, he loves you as you are right now. He is not content to leave you there. Not you, not me. You know, some of us think we've arrived at some point. No, we haven't, because the objective is to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. And Jesus, if you haven't carefully read your Bible, he's like on a level of spiritual devotion and just humility and virtue that transcends every one of us. And so we've always got a gap, a performance gap and a character gap and a whole bunch of other gaps inside of me between me and him. So we had, the goal is to head, in, head toward full devotion. And part of full devotion is discovering what is God's purpose for my life? Why am I here? Because you're here for a reason. You're not an accident. You're not the result of you know, just some random molecules colliding and some soup that existed before you and all of the rest of creation as we know it. it uh, you are here at the, by the hand, the will, the love, the choice of a holy and righteous God. Now, with that in mind, that context, how do we, what does growth look like, when you, spiritually speaking, when you go from this to you know, full adulthood? Maybe you're not fully Jesus, because you're not going to be Jesus, in case there's any fog there. None of us are going to make it. Only one Jesus. But what does growth and maturity look like? How do you, what's the pathway that we all walk? The first pathway was the first week we talked about grace. You remember that? We talked about grace. You and I have got to experience grace. We've got to understand that there is a holy and righteous God in heaven who has standards and expectations that you and I will never measure up to. We won't. But he's not mad at us about that. He cares about us because of that. And he's extended his grace. That's why Jesus went to the cross, why he died, why he suffered as he did. 
And if you humble yourself before him, if you invite Jesus to come, his spirit to fill your body, soul, and spirit with his spirit, uh, cleansing can happen, transformation can happen. It starts you on a course that totally changes the trajectory of your life. Every one of us needs to experience the grace of God, the grace of Jesus. No exceptions, because every one of us has fallen short of his expectation, his glory. So the beginning point is, is coming to grace through faith in him. Once you've kind of experienced that grace, I mean, let me just say this. Every person you lock eyes with needs grace. No exceptions. Pick, pick the person that annoys you the most. They need grace. Pick the person you'd most like to be with, the person you most like to be like from a character standpoint. They need grace. Everybody needs grace. No exceptions. But once a person has experienced grace, everything about that person's life and everything about God's will toward that person's life changes. Before they've experienced grace, God's, God's overarching purpose for a person's life is that they experience the grace that only Jesus can provide. Because Jesus himself says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You remember? What's he going to say? No man comes to the Father except through me. There is no other source of grace. He's the only one who died on the cross to pay the payment for your sin. Muhammad didn't do that. Buddha didn't do that. Pick your religious figure of history did not do that. Jesus alone has done that. Other religions have adopted elements of grace along the way at times because Christianity spread and people began to understand grace and they thought, oh, well, we'll just kind of, we like grace, so we'll just blend a little bit of that into our thing. But there's not much of it if you really know your, if you know your uh, world religions. There just isn't grace like the grace of Jesus. Once you've experienced grace, though, God's will changes. His objective is to say, how do I now make this person like my beloved son, Jesus? What needs to change next? Which that's where it gets uncomfortable for all of us. Because God is not codependent. What do I mean by that? God sometimes challenges us, puts us in context and situations that make us feel awkward and threatened and uncomfortable. And sometimes we might even look heavenward and say, why are you doing this to me? Why are you allowing this in my life? When the truth is, it's an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity to learn. How do we take advantage of that? Well, if we're going to grow, second week of our series, growth is really going to happen in the context of groups. Think about it this way. Grace is when you and I learn to, it's when we begin to learn to love God the Father with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Remember that? The first and greatest commandment. You remember this? You remember that from Scripture, Matthew 22? That's the first commandment. What's the second commandment? Learn to love your neighbor as yourself, right? Think about it just logically. Are you going to do that on your own? You don't learn to love your neighbor as yourself in private. This is one of the great flaws of the mindset in our culture that spirituality is a private thing. It's about me. It's about my prayer life. It's about my Bible reading. It's about me and, and my, you know. No, it's not. That's worldliness. 
is what that is. The second greatest commandment is all about learning to be connected with others. And this is why it is so critically important. You, let me I say it this way. You will not grow towards spiritual maturity unless you are in groups. Spend the next 30 years sitting in the blue chairs. Good for you. You need a group. You need a group. I know the whole Bible. Maybe you've read the whole Bible, but you need the whole Bible flowing through you in a way that can only happen in the context of relationships, and that's in groups. And not just any group, because you and I know in our world, not every group is, is, is equal. You can go be a part of a, a, a school board, and that's different than a Bible study group, is it not? Yes. Each has their purpose, but there are things that God will do in the context of groups of a small group, Bible study, church kind of base group that nothing else can substitute for. Lots of personal benefits to small groups. You're going to learn Bible knowledge. You're going to experience some emotional and relational healing in the context of small groups that won't happen the same way anywhere else. You're going to find help and deliverance from addictions and the opportunity to come clean about this in some of the groups that you can be a part of around this place. You're going to be able to learn to practice some spiritual disciplines and habits that are not now a part of your life, perhaps, and yet will transform, just as weightlifting will transform your strength, the spiritual disciplines that you'll get in some of these groups will trans transform your reflexive character and the way you speak and the way you relate to other people and you won't become weird, you will become more godly and good. And you won't happen without that. You need groups for that kind of thing. In the context of some of the groups that we have around right here, you're going to develop godly leadership traits. Because leadership in a small group context, it just draws something different out of you than if you're just leading your work team or some of the other kinds of groups that you are part of. Growth through groups is key to fulfilling the second greatest commandment, which is all about learning to love the Lord your God, with all, love your neighbor as yourself. Third uh, week in the series, we talked about spiritual gifts, and we talked about how those gifts, God's given them to you. Every one of us has, has at least one gift, most of us multiple gifts. It's all about learning to serve. It's about learning that the world spins not to serve me, but it's all about me learning to use the gifts and resources and abilities God's given me to bless and serve somebody else. And in doing so, character growth happens. Again, this is only going to happen, for the most part, usually in groups. There are exceptions, but mostly in groups. And as you develop and, and learn that spirit of servanthood, what's developing in you is a generous heart. It just isn't attached to money. You can still have money as your God to this point in the spiritual development process. Are you with me? Do you see how this works? And so you get to this point, and it's at this point that God begins to develop generosity in you. This is when it becomes, it's great if you start learning to tithe earlier. It's great if you start learning to meet the needs financially of other people in your life before this point. But it's really at this point that what comes, becomes congruent in your spirit is that you, you actually understand that when I give, it's like I'm, I'm blessing somebody else and you start realizing that I'm controlling money. Money's not controlling me. And it's a freeing thing to be free from the fear of 
whether I have enough money or not or a whole bunch of other things. And God will bless you with more. And that's not a health and wealth thing. That's a biblical thing that God will bless you with more as you bless others. It's all about the heart. That's why Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And his, his point is that we'll learn to, you know, our treasure will be as we learn to give. You know, it's like we'll be investing in the advancement of his kingdom and the blessing of others. And generosity will develop in our hearts We'll become more like God in that respect, who gives the rain on the just and the unjust. He lets the sun rise on the just and the unjust. He provides business ideas and all kinds of creativity to people who aren't walking with him. Why does he do that? Because he's good and he's generous and he cares and he knows we have a need. So this is sort of the... The, the pathway, we've got to learn to develop spiritual gifts and grow in generosity. And then the, sort of the fifth week in this whole series was about, uh, about learning to go. And it's about being a witness. And that is that you're not here just for your benefit or even just to be altruistic and help the neighbor next to you. But it, there is no greater blessing that you can bring into somebody else. You can help their temporal lives with your generosity. You have the capacity to eternally influence them and affect them for God's purposes in the world when you become a witness to them of who Jesus is, the salvation that he's provided, the forgiveness, the cleansing, the hope, the opportunity, that there's more to life than just what I now have. But there's an eternal side of this, and God cares about them more than he cares about his own life. That's what it means to, to go and Every one of us need to walk this path. Uh, and, and part of that path is, is learned. But there is no substitute for experiencing it. You must walk the path, not just know about the path. So this series, God's 2020 vision for all of us. These are the steps in the process, and we as a church are constantly, if you, if you look with analytical eyes at what we do, everything we do tries to facilitate these in some fashion, everything we do. And if it doesn't, usually it dies on the vine, whatever that thing is, because it doesn't have purpose. It may be a good thing. It just isn't relevant to us. Now, which brings us to today. Long introduction, sorry. <laughs> Today, everything I've talked about must operate in the context of an atmosphere of prayer. You can do all of those things, to some degree, independent of an atmosphere of prayer, and they're probably going to be weak. But if they operate in an atmosphere of prayer, they have the maximum potential to be transformational. You could say that the oxygen of heaven is prayer. The oxygen of your spiritual life is prayer. And so whether it's about experiencing grace or growing in groups or whether it's about spiritual gifts or growing in generosity or learning to go and be witnesses, all these things, it's like it all needs to be bathed in prayer. And so that's why we're going to talk about prayer this morning and next week. Okay, let's bow our heads, pray one more time, and then we'll dive into the rest of this message. All right, Heavenly Father, thank you for your faithfulness and kindness toward us. And as we look at your word this morning and what you've said about prayer, 
Would you just ignite something in our hearts, God? Would you, would you infuse all of what we do and all, of, all that we are and do as a church and as families and as individuals, would you empower us with the power of your spirit through the prayers of your people? So meet with us now. Speak to us from your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you look at the example, the teachings of Jesus in the Bible, he has a lot to say about prayer. Let me quickly just highlight a few, few passages. You might want to write down the reference in your notes because these are all uh, the way I'm doing this. It would be good for you to just have it somewhere and you can go home and write every one of these down. Matthew 7, verse 7 and following, Jesus says, <clears throat> Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Mark 11, Jesus says this to his disciples, Have faith in God, I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain... May you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. It goes on in John 14, verse 13, and says, You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Chapter 15, verse 7 records him saying, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. A few verses later, verse 16 of John 15, he says, You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. Notice a trend here, a thread he goes on in chapter 16, verse 23 and following, says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Now, I didn't read everything Jesus said about prayer. That's just some of it. But there's a lot of open-ended broad scope kinds of promises there. And these are just a few of the things he had to say about prayer. And he taught about this so much because he wanted his disciples then, once his disciples now, to understand that every one of us can make a bigger difference in our world than we think or know. We have the capacity to accomplish far more than we could understand, but we must devote ourselves to prayer for that to happen. We must. And here's the challenge when it comes to this. When you and I have a pressing need, when we see some overwhelming problem in our world or our lives, we have a natural tendency to do things other than pray. Every one of us, we have this tendency. So for the next few minutes, what I want to do is just quickly mention three tendencies that you and I easily default to. And my hope is that as I, as I mention each of these, that it'll be like, you know, target practice. You know, you kind of put a target up a little. You put, maybe you go to the, the fair 
and you know you got the, the ball and you got the little jar over here and you throw the ball at the jar and when you hit it, it knocks it over. It's like I'm, my goal is to knock over these three tendencies and my hope is in the process to inspire you to want to pray, to engage in your God-given opportunity, your inheritance, the authority that God has given you in prayer, that sometimes you and I default to other things and don't exercise. So for the next few moments, let's just hang with me if you would and just do a little internal wrestling. When you and I have a pressing need or see an overwhelming problem, we have a tendency, first of all, to worry and be afraid instead of pray. This is like our, most of us, this is default response number one. We worry and we're afraid. Have you noticed anybody who's worried or fearful about the coronavirus? That is the world's largest duh, right? Everybody's paranoid about it. We can't even shake hands anymore. Some, I mean, we're all walking around this morning shaking hands and we're like nervous about that. Now, uh, you know, and the new shaking hands is, you know, the elbow bump. And which, of course, I, I'm not sure who came up with that idea because where have we been trained by our culture to sneeze? <laughs> Somebody's the synapses didn't close somewhere. I, my, I, I think there's wisdom, obviously. I mean, I'm not saying we'd be careless and just pray. But what I am saying is that when you and I respond in fear and paranoia, what are we doing? We're opening the door to evil, taking advantage of us and manipulating us in ways that you and I don't want to be manipulated, ways it was never God's intention. So what would God tell us to do instead? Instead of worrying like this, this is what he'd tell us to do. This is a picture that was taken here not too long ago, about a week ago. So this is Vice President Pence and the uh, Coronavirus Task Force doing what they should be doing. They're praying and they're working. They're working to figure this thing out. Now, I can tell you, you know, wash your hands, do all this stuff, listen to the CDC, be, be attentive to these things. But whatever you do, don't neglect this. Because prayer has the power to change things. Remember what Jesus says? If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you can ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Something as big as this, we probably have to like collectively be praying and petitioning God. But honestly, it is not a big deal to God to fix this. He can do anything, but he has, has allowed this. And perhaps part of that is waiting to see, will his people rise up in prayer and appeal to him for freedom, deliverance, healing? Are you praying like that? When you and I have a pressing need or see an overwhelming problem, we also have a natural tendency to numb out instead of pray. I mean, this is default response. Some of you are thinking, what do you mean by numb out? Here's what I mean. We tend to grow detached. We tend to grow insensitive. And let me just say, 24-7 news cycles has not helped us in this respect. I mean, because we all have this tendency. Several years ago, when Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans... You see the picture here, what it was like. It was devastating to the city of New Orleans. Uh, some of you remember that. 1,833 people died in the hurricane and flooding. Millions of others were left homeless. Um, as the disaster unfolded, at one point, uh, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, regional director, the one that was on the ground in New Orleans, uh, he emailed the FEMA national director who was in Washington, D.C. about the situation. I want you to listen to what the 
the director on the ground in New Orleans said, wrote to his national director. This is, this is the email exchange, okay? Sir, I know that you, are, that you know the situation is past critical. Here are some things you might not know. Hotels are kicking people out. Thousands are gathering in the streets with no food or water. Hundreds are still being rescued from homes. There are dying patients at the disaster medical assistant tents, assistance tents. Estimates are that, met, that many will die within hours, so evacuation is in process. Plans are developing for the evacuation of the Superdome. Remember all the people in the Superdome? Tens of thousands of people in the Superdome not to watch the New Orleans Saints. That wasn't why they were there. Uh, they, they, plans are developing for the evacuation of the Superdome, but the hotel situation is adding to the problem. We are out of food and running out of water at the Dome. Plans are in the works to address this critical need. FEMA staff is okay in holding their own, working in deplorable conditions. The sooner we can get uh, the medical patients out, the better for everyone. Phone connectivity is impossible. End of email. How do you think the national director of FEMA in the middle of all this responds to that email? This is what he says. Thanks for the update. Anything specific I need to do or tweak? Now, that's what you call numb and detached. And on some level, people who do that kind of thing for a living, you live with that, and that's a healthy, it serves a purpose. But, but before we're too hard on this guy, we've got to be careful because every one of us has done the same thing to one degree or another. Every one of us lives with this level of numbness when earthquakes hit Haiti, when wildfires scorch California, when tornadoes hit Nashville. Some of us, it's like we just don't even, just oblivious. A coronavirus in China, we just... Our culture's tendency is to just numb out and to retweet a picture of the crisis event and add hashtag we care and move on as though that somehow helps. This is, this is numbness is what it is. What would Jesus have us to do instead? Pray. Pray. According to Jesus, heaven and earth are moved when people pray. That's why every day uh, the school resource officer in a small Arkansas city stands before the flagpole of his school, and he prays for the safety of his community, the safety of his students, his school, his nation. According to the Washington Examiner, Officer Warren here in the picture said uh, that he was, quote, led by the Spirit of God to pray at the flagpole. Of course he was. So are you. So am I. But are we doing it? We choose to pray even when we sometimes grow numb, note to self, maybe if I prayed more about these things. You see, our temptations think, I can't do anything about that, and so we just numb out. When the fact of the matter is, God's saying, no, you can do something about that. What you need to do is pray. Maybe some of the numbness and insensitivity will lift if we pray as we ought. Let me quickly mention one more tendency that we all have when you and I have see a pressing need or an overwhelming situation, a problem. We have a natural tendency to just roll up our sleeves and work harder instead of pray. 
We know we need to do something, so we just push ourselves a little bit more to live out the starfish story. You know the starfish story. We all know the starfish story. You know, the man who one day was walking along the beach, and as he walked, he noticed off in the distance a boy, and he was picking something up from the sand, flinging it out into the, into the, the waters of the ocean. And as he approached the boy, he asked, what are you doing? And the boy replied, I'm throwing starfish back into the ocean. The surf's up. The tide's going out. If I don't throw them back, they'll die. The man looks at him and says, son, you know, don't you realize there are miles and miles of beach here, hundreds and hundreds of starfish. You're not making a difference. But the boy just bent down, picked up another starfish, threw it back into the surf, and smiling, he looked at the man and said, made a difference for that one, right? We love that story, especially we Americans. I mean, we, we're, we are action-oriented people. We love that story, and we love it for good reason, but it fails to answer a very critical question. What about all the others who didn't get our help? I mean, it's a reflection to some degree of our numbness that we can feel good about the one starfish, and we don't feel anything about the other millions. We just don't. What do we do? I mean, what's God's take on this? I mean, what about all the other homeless people who are still on the street struggling with addiction and mental health issues? Great that you helped one. What about the rest of them? What about the children who are being raised in poverty without a dad or a mom? What about all the other victims of neglect and abuse and suffering? Yay you that you helped somebody. Fantastic. What about the rest? Is it okay to just grow numb and calloused and say, not my problem? Is that God's view of things? What would Jesus have us to do? He would have us to pray. We should all do for one what we wish we could do for everyone. Yes. Did you hear that? We should all do for one what we wish we could do for everyone. But for the rest... We should pray. We should pray. That's what Jesus, we see Jesus doing and saying in Matthew 9, verses 35 and following. He says, the scriptures say, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of the area, this kind of area of Capernaum, teaching in the synagogues, announcing the good news about the kingdom. So he's teaching, he's, he's kind of proclaiming, sort of advertising, marketing here, he's doing that. He healed every kind of disease and sickness. So he's like, you know, coronavirus that anybody had or pick your other sickness or disease or Malaria, whatever it is, pick your sickness. He's, he can heal that. And verse 38, 36 says, And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. He doesn't say at the end of the day, you know, I helped all these people. Whew, I feel bad for all the rest of them. Now I'm going to sit down and watch KU game. It was not his approach. He might have watched KU if it was available then, but what else would he have done? Pray. He would have prayed. He said, Father, send more laborers into the harvest field. And the example of Jesus is help those you can and then pray, pray. So will you pray for our Heavenly Father to equip and send more workers into the harvest field? 
Some of us look at stuff going on in our culture and our world today, and the temptation is to be judgmental or to just think, I can fix this, and I can't fix it for everybody, I can fix it for this person, and we should do that. But the appeal of God is to pray, pray, pray. Every one of us can make a bigger difference in our world if we'll devote ourselves to prayer. So let's pray for those who need healing. Let's pray for the confused and the helpless around us or that we see in the media or we see in our culture or whatever. Pray for more godly men and women to be raised up who help them meet the needs of our spiritually needy world. And pray for that. Pray for people to turn to Jesus and be filled with his spirit and his character. Pray. Let's be people of prayer. The oxygen of heaven is prayer. And the power of everything that's related to the kingdom of God is found in prayer. Let's stand together. We're going to close in prayer now. Maybe some of you this morning need to look heavenward and just invite Jesus to fill your heart, to cleanse your soul. The scriptures are clear. If you ask, you'll receive. So ask. Maybe some of us need to uh, be baptized in an expression of our faith the Scripture teaches. You can let us know about that. We can help you with that. We all probably need to keep praying for the intervention of God related to this whole corona thing. Uh, we have the blessing of the, at this church, and I'll just say this while we're together, is that you know, if, if, if this thing went crazy somehow beyond your ability or mind to control, you know, maybe it's a bigger deal than we understand at this point. But if it would go crazy, you have the internet and God has gifted us with the ability to do live stream teaching and preaching and we can figure these things out. The help of God and the empowerment of the spirit of God to pray. And my expectation of you would be to grab all of your neighbors and join you for church at 10 a.m. on your live stream in front of your television. Are you with me? That was really, really weak. This would be, I, I could make a case that God could do amazing things for his kingdom during this window of time if his people aren't dominated by fear. If your objective is just to protect yourself, uh, you couldn't have lived in the early church. You couldn't live in some places in our world right now. You'd, you'd be toast already. And, and let me just say, you know, fear isn't going to protect you from a coronavirus or anything else. I mean, you better pray and you better seek first God's kingdom and all the rest of this stuff will be taken care of. Okay? All right. Enough of that. Let's pray. We'll be dismissed. Glad you made it this morning. Father, go with us now as we leave this place and we lift ourselves up to you. We thank you that you've given us life, health, strength. Thank you that you have made it so that you hear our prayers and you do care. Lord, we do pray that you would bring intervention and healing with regard to this whole coronavirus, Lord, and anything else that's involved in all this that we don't even know. Lord Jesus, we see you in Scripture going throughout the towns and villages, and you're healing every sickness, every disease. We know that in the heavens right now, as you sit before the throne of the Father, all you have to do is speak the word. All you have to do is say the word. 
and individuals in this room can be healed, but we also know that a virus like this can be squashed, boundaries be put on it. I mean, you control molecular biology and everything else. That's not a, an unusual thing to you or a foreign thought. So we ask, Lord, for your help, your healing, your deliverance, for us, for our nation, for the world. We ask that in the process, your name would be glorified, that those who are sick would be healed and recognize that your hand of blessing was in their lives. And we'll rejoice together to serve you. So we leave this place, Father, go with us. Help us to become men and women of prayer for your kingdom's sake and ours. This is our request in the name of Jesus. Amen.